0: Morning and welcome to episode one four five of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller in Long Beach, California, with Ben Lindbergh in New York, New York. We'll be joined later in the show by David Lennon, a baseball columnist for Newsday, who will be talking with Pete Barrett about the New York Mets. Uh, but in the meantime, we're here with Jason Wojcicki and a large moth to talk about the Mets. Jason, it was actually how was... a very
1: small moth, just a really annoying one. Who start? I
0: see, but I killed it. Huh. <laughs> that's uh, that's a good way to get in the, in the good graces of one of your hosts. <laughs> <laughs> the killing of bugs never goes over poorly on this side of the podcast. Um, so Jason, we're going to talk about the Mets. If you were just walking down the hallway of the Mets executive offices looking at the names on the doors, you would think you were in a sabermetric wonderland um, with Sandy Alderson and Paul DePodesta. Um, is there anything that is notably sabermetric about this team or really is there anything notably progressive about this team in any way or shall I say is there anything notable about this team in any way
1: well I can't believe first of all that you just totally dissed JP Ricciardi like that um but I think he'll get over it um I I don't know I, I don't know that there's I don't know that there's anything um any organizing theme I guess of the way that they've run the team, I think, uh, you know, beyond the fact that they're rebuilding. It's like, oh, they're rebuilding. They're trading, you know, uh, their, their old good players for um, young good players, young high upside players. Um, you know, may, maybe maybe you can look at the the Carlos Beltran and, and R.A. Dickey deals getting, um, you know, maybe less quantity and more quality as one theme um but i'm not sure that that's a particularly sabermetric theme um i don't know that the players they've drafted are i mean i don't know what a sabermetric draft is anymore anyway it's certainly not the Moneyball draft um they drafted a lot of high school players in the first round in fact i think uh 2011 2012 I don't remember 2010, but they definitely drafted some high school players in the first round, including a high school pitcher, um, Michael former. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know that, um, in their actions, you can identify, Oh, you know, stat nerds. Um, certainly Sandy Alderson talks the right talk and he tweets the right tweet. Explain. Um, well, I mean, you know, he says the things I, I, I don't know that I have uh, specific examples, but, um, he, they, they, they'll, they'll talk about plate discipline and this and that, you know, it, it's just that they're, they're not out there talking about, um, uh, sacrificing and, and I, I don't know. Um,
2: he plays very well at, at the BP events. We've done events at City Field the last couple of years and he has spoken at both of them and has gone over very well with a, a crowd of BP readers. He sounds very impressive.
1: Yeah, he, he's, um, it, 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 he's not—he's not, you know, revealing massive secrets or anything. But—but but nobody does. But he's not, you know, uh, he's not saying the things that that Kevin Towers says, for instance. Although Kevin Towers has had a good reputation in the past, he's not. Um, you know, the, the sort of famous, um, semi-famous, I guess, or infamous, uh, the Jerry DePoto quote um, after the, the first Dan Heron trade, um, you know, about why why Joe Saunders was in the deal. Um, the, the, you know, the, those kinds of things don't seem to come out of Sandy Alderson's mouth Um for whatever that's worth I mean I, I don't know what that's worth the A's talk a lot about personality and grit and and determination these days uh, so I, I have no idea what any of this is worth
0: so um, the Mets traded R.A. Dickey uh, this offseason um, there were other big stars sort of uh, hot commodities that were traded you guys can help me if I forget any but uh, James Shields and Justin Upton and Shinsu Chu among them Um how do you think that the uh, return that the Mets got for Dickey compares uh, to to what other clubs got for
1: their stars? Um, I mean, I I like it. They they certainly. Um they got a catcher who's just about ready in, in Darnot and, and then Syndergaard, um, it, you know, the high school drafted pitcher who's far away from the majors. Anything could happen, but certainly every report I've ever read on him is good. And I obviously didn't do as much research about him as I did about other Mets prospects because he wasn't a Met when I was writing the chapter. Um, but... Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, this. I. I guess I'm. I guess I was pleasantly surprised. If I were a Mets fan, um, by the return for a thirty. what is he? I don't know, Thirty-nine year old. Um, who throws a trick pitch and has only been doing it well for. Uh, are we are we going on two years? Is it one and a half years? One and three quarter years? I. I don't i i lose track of how long dickie's been good but when you're that age and i guess it's been two and basically three years um when you're that age and you are a knuckleballer anything could happen and so you know the other the other acquisitions were a little more traditional um you know justin upton is a very talented outfielder that's you know you, you give up a big package for him um So, and I mean, arguably, they didn't give up a big package for him, but um, I don't know. If I'm a Mets fan, I'm pretty happy with what the Mets got for Dickey, assuming you're okay with Dickey being traded in the first place. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Speaking Uh, of talented outfielders, hmm. uh, that's not something the Mets have any of, it seems, at this point. um, Mar-
1: Marlon Marlin Bird is. Uh, let's let's not.
2: wait <laughs> right. I don't want to sell the grave, Marlon Bird.
1: Um,
2: I was asked in a chat at VP a couple of days ago if this is the worst outfield ever. I <laughs> didn't have an answer off the top of my head. I don't expect you to either. Um, Do they
1: mean literally? ever because like right, there were I the mean, warriors and right, I, I mean a one armed player played in the major leagues and he was an outfielder <laughs> 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 I think Kirk Neweneis is better than, than I've forgotten his name. Um
2: Gray, Pete Gray?
1: Pete Gray might be it, yeah.
2: Um <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's not good. Do you think that this is what the outfield will look like for for this season? Is it is it gonna be Duda and, and Baxter and Newenhuis and maybe a little Bird and Colin Cowgill? Is that really gonna get them through the season, or is that gonna just become so bad that at some point they're forced to do something?
1: No, I mean I, I think um, when you've got those kinds of players and you've got um, still Giordani Valdespin Valdespin excuse me um, uh, as a kind of Triple A slash major league player um i guess justin turner maybe plays outfield i don't i don't know um uh and uh matt den decker is should be relatively close he's not on the 40 man yet but it doesn't take but a transaction to get there um and uh, you know yeah these none of these guys are irreplaceable and thus it seems like a very good bet to say that some of them will be replaced um, you know, if, if an injury, if, if Ike Davis got hurt, then Duda probably goes to first base, um, and then you're looking at a you know a different outfield. Um, there's also there's also the the sort of uh, platoon issue where all of those guys that you just named could be getting even even if that is the roster, all of them will be getting playing time. Um, one of the things that I noted in in looking at the team um, from last year for the book is that. Uh, it seemed like Terry Collins really put guys in platoon, sort of got guys the platoon advantage more often than average. Um, so I think he, I think there's a good chance he'll be aggressive with um, Cowgill against lefties, for instance. Um, so just because he's on the bench doesn't mean that he won't get uh, a fairly solid amount of time, particularly since he's also a significantly better defender than Duda. Um, and so, you know, late game situations it might almost, might almost be a, a default uh, change that, unless it's like an eight run game, you're, you'll see you'll see Cowgill.
0: Um So I want to ask you about David Wright's defense um, because David Wright's defense has generally been uh, fairly well despised by most of the metrics, pretty much all the metrics, all the metrics I would say, all the metrics despise him. Um, and then uh, this year he was a plus ten to plus sixteen defender depending on your metric Um, by uh, defensive run saved over the last four years he goes negative 14 negative 14 negative 6 and then -hmm. plus 16 UZR is basically the same Uh, fielding runs above average is a little bit more moderate but basically the same Um, is there anything legit about the plus 16 and um, is David Wright a guy Mm -hmm. who retires at third base
1: well his fielding percentage was above average last year
0: oh okay (laughs)
1: <laughs> um uh, you're, you're, being... still in,
0: uh, you're still in uh you're still in arbitration
1: <laughs> I am I, I am I am in it to to win this um I don't know I mean uh I, I I did hear you ask um uh Zachary Levine a similar question the other day and and um I think I think his answer is is a similar answer to what I'll say, which is that last year might have been real. You know, maybe the, you know, the the agreement in these metrics are picking up that he caught more baseballs than he has in the past. Um, I mean, in particular, he, um, you know, was healthy as opposed to 2011. Um, And yet the the, the defensive unsaved New ZR didn't really like him in the past. But fielding runs above average um, has him kind of hovering around average for – how many years has he played nine seven out of his nine years um and then well below in 2009 2011 um so i don't know uh he he doesn't look like a bad defender like he doesn't look like big and muscle-bound and immobile um but uh you know i'm i'm no more a scout than i am a lawyer um so uh the weird thing I don't know.
0: I, I asked I, I
1: asked Zachary about somebody
0: who I think is sort of generally acknowledged to be terrible. Wright doesn't seem like he's ever been acknowledged to be terrible. It, like the metrics haven't liked him, and I've never known whether to buy that. Uh, he finished fourth in fielding Bible voting this year, though. Um, you know, ahead of some really good defenders like Ryan Zimmerman and Alberto Kiaspo and, and Brandon Inge. Um, so I can sort of maybe buy that 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 it's not just uh real performance but real talent uh or you know his uh, his real ability i but i don't really know
1: yeah i mean he he built a reputation i think among mets fans early in his career when he made that like that ridiculous over the shoulder diving catch into left field or something like that i don't remember if that was his rookie year or 2005 i i feel like that was early in his career and i can actually picture it in my head um and you know n- nobody actually says, oh, he made that play, therefore he's a good defender. But it's those moments that pop out at you um, that make you think someone is a good defender. I think, and um, you know, which is why we always fall prey to sort of diving catches and everything on on players who aren't actually any good at it. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it, I think there's a decent chance that he finishes third, even if he does at third, even if he doesn't deserve to finish at third. Um, you know, like maybe that, that he's really just not very good, but, um, but he'll stay there because he looks okay. Um, and I also don't know that he's – well, I don't know. Those numbers are pretty bad. Those numbers are, are bad enough probably to justify moving him. There's certainly nobody standing in his way at first. Um, I mean at the moment it's Ike Davis, but Ike Davis is the kind of player that you're not going to go out of your way probably to sign up long term. Um, he could be, he could get expensive with a couple of good, like RBI type years or home run type years. And, um, you may want to sell or just let him go. Um, and they don't have, uh, a Chris Carter or a Jonathan Singleton or somebody like that. Um, just a guy with a, um, your favorite phrase, a big bat, um, in the minors, um, who doesn't have a position, They don't really have anybody like that coming, Um, and you can always draft somebody. But, um, you know, in that sense, there's not really anybody standing in the way of moving right. Um, The flip side of that is I don't think there's anybody coming who is going to push him off the position either.
0: Uh, You mentioned Ike Davis. Uh, Ike Davis hit 227 and he slugged 462. Mm -hmm. That's a combination that's sort of hard to keep going uh, unless you're a very particular type of player. Um, do you see one of those numbers changing uh, dramatically and in what direction?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think the batting average um, comes back. Um, you know, he hit 264 as rookie year, 302 in a very short um, second year. Um, the funny thing is, if you look from 2011 to 2012, again, 2011 is only 150 plate appearances, but 75 points of batting average difference. 75 points of on base percentage and uh, what does that work out to 81 points of slugging so it's basically the batting average um you know it, it's like that's like however many singles that works out to is the difference between the 2011 line and 2012 line um and uh, he you know you don't have that kind of power without hitting the ball hard um And, uh, yeah, he's not a fast guy or anything like that, but um, I would expect the batting average to bounce back to be respectable. I don't know if he's going to hit 300 again, but to be respectable. Um, And if he winds up with a line that's exactly like his uh, 2010, I would not – be surprised at all um and in fact pakoda i think says more or less that lower batting average than i would expect um but still 333 on base 455 slugging um i don't see any reason not to expect that um or maybe even i mean i i I would i would even say that pakoda is being pessimistic and um as it is want to do i suppose um relative to our expectations and and say that he, he you know very easily hits it 265 and so is
0: he the second best met or is somebody else
1: um it's between him and Matt Harvey I think um Harvey um, I mean it's just it's just hard to, to take a first baseman and and um, unless he is uh, Albert Pujols and and say that they're the second best anything um, he, he's good but he's not um, astounding and and Matt Harvey kind of almost is astounding um uh, you know came up last year and just threw like 98 and and struck out way too many batters and uh a lot of fun to watch if nothing else and yeah i think there's i think at the the sort of end of year um looking back whatever stats you like to look i i think there's a good chance that harvey is the guy that that you'll say was the second best player on the team well should we uh should we ask for a prediction ben
2: uh, I have a notable stat about the Mets.
0: Oh, well, great. Keep keep this going. Keep this going as long as you can.
2: <laughs> the Mets are projected to have the worst fielding runs above average as a team, uh, and it's not even all that close, really. Um, they're projected to be over 20 runs below average, and also below average at every single position, uh, which just... Eyeballing our visual depth charts on the site. I think they're probably the only team that fits that description uh, So that's not good about the Mets, but I guess to, to segue into the projection portion Pakoda is Extremely optimistic about the Mets. I think people were surprised when the team projections came out and Pakoda had them winning 80 games Uh, only a couple of games behind the Braves. Do you share that sense of optimism at all?
1: I I think if they're going to have that bad a defense, that the odds that Sean Markham and Johan Santana put up a 3-3 and 3-4 ERA are pretty slim.
2: Um, Or that they pitch many innings while doing so?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, the the innings projections on our depth charts are, are not crazy Mm um um and and so that 80 wins is with them only throwing 130 and 140 um or 145 or so um so they they though you know Pakota slash the depth charts are not calling for like 200 innings from these guys of, of you know well better than average era um but yeah i i think i think 80 is maybe a little aggressive um i i i would i don't know um i think they will win between 72 and 84 games (laughs) um what is is that average out to 76 77 um you know that that's 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 the range that i would expect I, i i feel like they'll finish um with a number that doesn't make you go oh almost 500 <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I think I think they'll finish, but I also don't think their number is going to start with a 6. I think they'll clear 70, and I don't think it'll be 70. Um so it's in that it's in that range uh where you go. Now, that's not a very good team. Jason, what am I supposed to
0: put down in the spreadsheet? This is ridiculous.
1: <laughs> Wait, you're doing a spreadsheet? I uh, I have not. Oh. However, I probably No, uh, no. No, no I'll Probably go back. See this I, is where no, I'm not I, – I, I'm not going to – I'm going to foil your, your dastardly plan um, to keep a spreadsheet of predictions, mainly because I picked the Nationals to finish last last year, and I am still um, ruining that decision. Uh, so there's no way I'm, I'm picking a solid number on the Mets.
0: I think Pakoda did, too. That Nationals thing doesn't get nearly the the press that the Orioles and the A's got. Like, everyone just accepts that, but they were also supposed to be terrible.
1: I thought Pakoda had them at third. Um, Maybe maybe I'm
0: not thinking of Pakoda. Maybe it was another something.
1: something, Yeah, I think they were third and like a 500 team. And so a lot of people said, oh, Harper and Strasburg, they'll be first. And I said, Harper and Strasburg... They'll be last. Like I, I thought Harper wouldn't be an impact player. Strasburg maybe going to work his way back. Um, things like that. Those were those were my thought processes, which shows you exactly why um, you guys pay me to write about baseball.
2: And talk about it.
1: And, well, I'm, wait, am I being paid for this? I'm uh, getting a little bonus, a little bonus it this will month. be
2: <laughs> richly rewarded in, in some way. It might in, not come in the form of, of cash. Um or-
1: yeah okay well we will just 78 wins you want to put me on a number i'll say 78 wins i'll also i'll also note since i in in doing my research i thought i i I thought i was going to say this um i just want to say matt harvey throws up in the zone a lot i just want to point that out (laughs) in case he gives up like 35 home runs this year i want to i want to be on the record forget my wins projections i want to be on the record noting that matt harvey throws a lot of pitches up in the zone
2: so he'll get some strikeouts while he's giving up 35 home runs
1: he does. He does. He does have a, a fantastic whiff rate in the zone, out of the zone, high, low, left, right, all over the place. Um, which our wonderful pitcher—what do you call him? Pitcher profiles, pitch FX mm-hmm. pitcher profiles. Those are. Um, that there's. Well, anyway, uh, that is that is where I gather all my information. All right.
0: All right. So that'll do it. Uh, we're gonna have uh, David Lennon from Newsday next. It may still be winter, but Baseball Prospectus is ready to play ball.
2: Pete Barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball.
1: Step into the box. The
3: Squeeze is on. And welcome to The Squeeze. Joining me today, the baseball columnist for Newsday, Dave Lennon. Dave, thanks so much. No problem. Glad to be here. One of the big messages that manager Terry Collins is trying to pitch to the Mets and to fans is that maybe the Mets could be this year's Athletics or the Orioles. Do you think that's an effective message that can actually be bought into?
4: Uh, well, you know, I, I, I'm not really one for, for rah-rah speeches at the beginning of spring training. I, you know, these guys are uh, professionals. Um, you know, the Mets don't have a lot of, you know, what I would call established, proven veterans on that team by any means. But, you know, that's who Kerry Collins is. I mean, he's, he tries to be a big motivator. He can be an emotional guy. We saw some, some of that emotion leak through uh, during last year when the, when the team struggled. So I think Collins wants to show those guys, you know, first and foremost that, you know, don't believe what people may be writing or saying about you and let's take care of our business in this clubhouse and uh, go out and prove some people wrong. I mean, the teams you mentioned beforehand are are teams that people never gave a chance to last year, and and, and what they've done is uh, exactly that. They've proven people wrong, and I I think that's the attitude the Mets are trying to have, too.
3: Collins is a lame-duck manager. This is his final year of his contract, and there's a little bit of awkwardness, I guess, with Wally Backman helping him lead this team in spring training through some drills and stuff. What do you think Sandy Alderson's looking at Collins for in this season, and how can he be judged at the end of the season, given he has some limited talent to work with?
4: Well, I mean, you mentioned lame duck status for Collins, and, you know, obviously that's true. You know, I think lame duck status often has kind of a a negative connotation to it or, you know, like they're kind of being hung out to dry. And, you know, in Collins' case, you know, we're not talking about Tony La here or Joe Torre. Uh, or Terry Francona, for that matter. You know, Terry, no disrespect to Terry Collins, but, you know, he's got to prove something here. You know, the the Mets have given him, true, some limited talent, um, but we have watched this team fade twice over the second half of the season after surprisingly well or good starts, I guess you could say. So, you know, is it too much to ask to think that Terry Collins can turn a team that many are predicting to win maybe mid 70s in games and finish fourth in the division uh maybe it's a stretch there's only so much a manager can do but on that same token I I think what management wants to do here um you know let's see Collins again see how this team responds to him and if they think they have a group of players or a team that uh either may not be responding to Terry at this point or he has a disappointing year then I think they're going to have to reevaluate that and And, uh, you know, consider making a change. And, again, that's no slight to Terry Collins. I mean, there are times where teams are in different parts of their transition. When they hired him, they expected him to be part teacher, part motivator. I mean, he was the minor league field coordinator, so they thought he would have familiarity with a lot of the types of players they were going to use. So, you know, they want to see if his message and his techniques and his ability can continue to fit this team going forward. And I think that's what they're going to be looking at this year.
3: Dave, you know as well as anyone, the last few years, the Mets, they're in it, it seems like to the All-Star break, gets fans' hopes up, and then I mean, and they fall apart. Um, is that just sure. a lack of depth that comes through at a certain point of the season? Is that maybe uh, the manager's fault, other leadership for not keeping focus throughout the season? What do you think you can attribute that to?
4: I think you touched on it with, with your first point. You know, it, it certainly speaks to a lack of depth. Um, you know, teams can... You know, like a good sprinter, a team can get off to a fast start uh, and really kind of not have the energy in reserve to make it a much further distance. And in the Mets case, you know, whether it's in injuries in the bullpen or injuries in the rotation, um, you know, that, that's tough to sustain if you don't have the backup people there. Uh, you know, the bullpen right now is a situation where they're trying to test a number of different guys. Frank Francisco is already a big question mark for them. Uh, you know, not just on ability now, but also on his physical status based on his elbow issues. You know, you're going to be going in with Bobby Parnell as closer. So, you know, do they, they don't really have the depth behind their, their starting lineup now either. I mean, they, they just don't, not only do they not have a great front line starting team, you know, they don't really have a lot of uh, bench depth either. So, you're right. I mean, I, I think that's what spelled doom for this team. They didn't have people to fill in or come through when other people struggled. Uh, And until they get to a point um, where where these younger players are able to fill in and and fill some of these roles,
3: uh, I think you're still going to see a little of that. Fred Wilpon met with the media, uh, basically said the financial woes are over, they're getting through this. Um, If that was truly the case, would they be going into this season with the outfield that they do, or would you have a guy like Michael Bourne wearing uh, orange and blue? Well... It was
4: funny, that a few of us had said, the timing of that was curious considering it happened about less than 24 hours after they had lost Michael Bourne uh, to the Indians. So, I think if I'm the Mets, I would have waited a week to have that (laughs) press conference. Uh, You know, it wasn't wasn't the best timing. You know, here we are with all this money, uh, which we just happened to have right after the last big free agent came off the market. So, the timing wasn't the best for the Mets, for sure, but you know, wouldn't it have been the right move for these Mets to go sign Michael Bourne for, for four years and close to $50 million with the possibility of, of investing options for a fifth? No. Where the Mets are right now, I, I didn't think it was a good fit. I didn't think there was a need to spend that kind of money, um, whether they have it coming out of their pockets now or not. Uh, I think this is still very much a team in transition. Um, I think anybody uh, inside and out, you know, can see that. Uh, and I think that's what the front office eventually saw, too. Uh, they have plenty more holes. I mean, would Michael Bourne have made them a better team than they are right now? Of course. You know, right now you could argue whether or not they have any people major league major league outfielders. I know it's kind of a tired refrain to this point. But Bourne would have, no question, made them a better team. Uh, but is it worth that investment? Is it worth being on the hook for that money for the next four years for where they are right now? Uh, I don't think so. So as far as whatever... Whatever crimes you want to accuse the Mets of, or if you want to um, certainly criticize them for not spending money, this was not, inborn. was not an area I feel was a spot they should have spent it.
3: Yeah, it seems like Sandy Alderson, uh, the product may not have translated onto the field yet, but in terms of the minor league system, it seems like everything's moving up. They got some young, promising prospects back in the R.A. Dickey trade, obviously the Beltran trade. Um, where do you think Sandy Alderson's uh, regime and reign for the Mets when is it going to be all put in perspective? Is this going to be four or five years down the road until we really see uh, how good these moves are?
4: Well, man, I, you know I hope for Mets fans' sake that it's not four or five years down the road. Uh, that that seems like a long way away at this point. Um, I think when, when Sandy Olsen came on board, uh, you know you heard him talk about 2014. You know when he came in and assessed what this what this team had and, and the moves he thought he could make and the payroll flexibility this team would have, 2014 was the year that he had something. You know, he had mentioned it anytime somebody would ask him about it. Uh, and this was before he even made the trades uh, for Zach Wheeler, and obviously uh, before the Tari-Dickey trade of the past year. So, you know, I, I think you take 2014 because that's when guys like Bay uh, and Santana would be off the books. Uh, technically, you know, they're still paying pay now, obviously, but, you saw that in Santana, you were gonna have close to 30 million dollars coming off the books. You saw in Bay, you were gonna have another 16 or so coming off. So I, I think that's when he thought he could spend wisely again, and some of the younger players on this team uh, would be ready to step up. And, and I think that's still fair. I mean, I think the Mets can be um, a much more competitive team next year, uh, and I think that's going to be the year that they can hang on to a fringe spot of contention. Or, or be a contender, I think that's kind of the first real hints of that we're going to have. I mean, the division's not getting any easier, that's for sure, um, because the Nationals are a team with a lot of uh, very good young talent, and, and the Braves are looking strong, uh, and you might see the Phillies start to approach some of their decline right now, so I think next year is a big year. Um, you know, you hate to say that before the regular season even starts right now, but I think most Mets fans in the back of their mind, I, I think that's what they're probably thinking.
3: One of your colleagues, uh, uh, who, whose work I also really enjoy, John Jansson, um, really, he loves talking about uniforms, and he loves writing about uniforms. It's one of those things he finds mm-hmm. interesting. What do you think about these new spring training caps and BKP caps with the Mr. Mets logo on it?
4: I don't like them. You know, I mean, as I see them now, I, I, I like them a lot initially. Like, when, the, when MLB first released all the hats for all the teams, You know, I'm I'm kind of into that stuff, too. I think any baseball fan is kind of into caps, whether they're throwbacks or whatever. And I liked what they did with them this year, because in past years, they've really been like these goofy, stretch, you know, real lousy ones, you know, bad designs. When they came out this year, I thought they are really cool. You know, they have good construction. They're more like the regular pro cap. And I saw the Mr. Met one, and I was kind of like, you know what, that's pretty cool they got Mr. Met on the hat. But... As I see them now, as the players wearing them on the field, they got maybe they got a little bit too much going on for the hat, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe I, I think maybe like the NY logo might have been kind of a little bit better way to go. I, I think they're great caps as far as fans go and stuff. And and any Met fan obviously likes the likes Mr. Met, but they uh, the Mr. Met thing is a little it's a little non-traditional. I'm kind of more of a throwback guy. Uh, and it might be a little. It might be a little too much over the top. It's still, it's still a fun cast, though.
3: Dave, you spent a long time on the Mets beat. Then last year, switched over to be the baseball columnist. How are you enjoying this role relative to being the beat writer for just the Mets?
4: Um, I, I like it a lot. For for, you know, the simple reason that it gives you a chance for for something new. You know, I I, I enjoy being the Mets beat writer for as long as I was. I I pretty much wrapped up a tenth year. Last year, which is a long time these days to be on a, on a baseball beat, um, but I, I liked working with a lot of people that were on the Mets. I got to see a lot of transition there. Uh, I got to see a lot of, uh, I would say, some good seasons and, and a lot of not so good ones during that stretch. Um, but now, now I think when you have a chance to 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 step out of being with one team, you know, it opens up your mind a lot. You know, I, I'm getting a chance to go to some different camps now. You know, writing about a lot of different people, you know, getting a more hands-on view uh, of what's going on in these other clubs. Um, You know, when you're with one team, you know, you really get tunnel vision because you're so plugged in to every little tiny thing that goes on with the team, whether it's with a single-A player, whether it's, you know, in AAA, whether it's just somebody, uh, you know, they're interested in outside the organization, it's really... It's really an intense, like, you know, saturation and kind of an immersion into that one club. When you have a chance to step out of that, it's a, it's a completely different mindset. You know, you have to see things with a much bigger picture. Um, and, and I think that's good. I, I think with anybody that wants to be more of a national baseball writer or wants to be more of a, a baseball columnist, I still think that being on a beat uh, and having that one team experience. Uh, is not only necessary, but I think it's it's a great tool. You know, It really gives you kind of a a front-line experience to what goes on and and allows you to appreciate a little bit more kind of the the bigger picture when you look at things later on.
3: Well, Dave, we're really enjoying your coverage now and glad that it's expanded so we can find out more about other teams. Uh, Enjoy spring training and then covering baseball throughout the season, and hopefully we can do this again sometime. I hope so. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me on.